You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coach. Oh boy, today's the day I'm going to share all of my flaws. <laughs> Not that you maybe haven't already identified them, um, but today we're going to talk about five mistakes that coaches make and what to do if you've made them. So some of these mistakes were made by me and some were made by colleagues, but they are all incredibly common because coaches are human beings and human beings make mistakes when it comes to working with other human beings. So I'm going to share these five things with you because I want you to be able to avoid them. And if you have made these mistakes, I want you to know how you can dig yourself back out from whatever hole you've dug yourself into. (laughs) Because if you are constantly driving a wedge between you and the teachers, if you are destroying the relationships and and unbuilding those bridges, um, it can be really hard to make an impact in those classrooms. It can be impossible. And so instead, sometimes we have to look at our behavior and say, you know what? May, my, maybe my intention was not to, d- to drive this wedge between me and this teacher, but that was certainly the impact. That was certainly the outcome of my actions. And so I am going to have to address this head on and make some change happen if I'm going to do my coaching work. So let's get started by talking about the first mistake that coaches very commonly make and what you can do if you have made this mistake too. And I made this one, by the way. The first mistake is not defining your role clearly with administration and with teachers. So I felt like I had my role fairly well defined with my administration, but I didn't explicitly introduce that to my teachers. um, And that was a huge mistake. And in the past, I had actually worked with, I've worked with several coaches as a teacher. And one of those coaches, I felt like spent 90% of their time doing like GT and administrative tasks and that kind of thing, that it made it hard for that person to get into the classrooms. So much of their their time was spent in doing other kinds of things that it made it hard for them to work with teachers and do modeling and do co-teaching and things like that. So I didn't get to see a lot of that in action. So even though I had defined my coaching role with my administrator, and I knew that my role was to support change and to bring about growth and all of these good things, Maybe the specific tasks under that role I hadn't identified as well, or I didn't know the quantity, the amount of time that I needed to spend on different things. And so because of that, I wasn't really able to communicate it well to teachers. I think I made it kind of more of like a general offering, like, well, yeah, I mean, if you need help with this, I can help you with this. If you want me to come in and, and see how you're doing, I can I can respond to that. But it was very vague and general. So I recommend instead, if you've made this mistake, like I did, I really want you to do some thinking about your role and what tasks are involved in that role. Now, you can learn more about this in episode 22 of this podcast if you haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about this to this point, but I really do recommend that you do because it's a good place to start. If you have not clearly defined it, you will not be able to define it for anybody else. Step two is to have a conversation with your administrator. So administrators might have a different perception of what your role is. So even if you feel like, oh, I know exactly what I'm here to do. If your administrator is in slight disagreement with you, not not anything bad, but they see something a little differently, they are going to be sending you to do the kinds of work that is not in alignment with the role that you've defined. 
So you need to make sure that you spend some time talking with your administrator and making sure that you're on the same page about what your job is. The third step is to share the role with teachers in written and spoken form. So you can learn more about this in episode 23 about how to share your role with teachers. But I actually introduced the idea of sharing a coaching menu um, with your teachers. And I think that that is a really helpful way for teachers to see in black and white what it is that you're available to do. So if you don't have any tool like that, I've actually got a free download for you where you can grab a coaching menu and you can use it as a sample or you can use that exact menu and share it with teachers and it will tell them exactly what it is that you're there to do so that your def- your role is clearly defined for everybody involved. So you can get that in the show notes. Um, you just go to buzzingwithmissb.com and search for episode, tw- uh, episode 29 of the coaching podcast because that will help you uh, get that free download and you can start using that with your teachers. Hey coaches, I'm just going to pop in here really fast because I want to share something with you that I am so excited about. My course for elementary literacy coaches, The Confident Literacy Coach, is live. It's up and running and you can get access to it right now. So here's the deal. When I started out as a coach, I struggled. I had trouble defining my role and communicating it with teachers and administration, and I honestly didn't even know that was something I was going to have to do. I dreaded PLC days because getting my teachers to collaborate, to speak the same language and create lesson plans together was a total nightmare. And I was so stressed out by modeling and co-teaching in classrooms that I actually avoided it for a long time. It was not a happy time for me, (laughs) but things got so much better. I figured out processes to help my teams of teachers work together. I focused on best practices in reading and writing and identified some high impact strategies to support alignment on my campus. And I began to spend more time in classrooms after I planned thoroughly with teachers before lessons. Basically, I started coaching with confidence. I've collected all the processes and tools that I used to do this work, and I've put it all together in one place, so you can coach with confidence too. The Confident Literacy Coach is your one-stop shop for everything literacy coaching in elementary school. You'll learn how to define your role and communicate it to your administrator, what best practices you should spend your time on, and my process for collaborative planning, plus so much more that will take your coaching life from frustrated and overwhelmed to effective and confident. You can check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com. Just click the Confident Literacy Coach at the bottom of the latest post and you'll learn exactly what's in the course and why it will change your coaching for the better. I can't wait to see you there. Another mistake, my mistake number two that coaches make is gossiping. So do I even have to explain why this is a problem? Um, One year, I worked with a teacher who was very frustrated with their colleagues. Um, Things like they don't come prepared, they don't follow through on their plans, they don't pitch in. And so sometimes teachers are going to come to you and they will want to complain about their colleagues. And while you can allow some complaints because people are struggling and going through something in their work dynamic, you cannot participate in the complaining. So for example... If the teacher says they don't come prepared to meetings, you can't say, you know what? They never turned in their data on time either. Because now you've shared something about that teacher that's a complaint. So now you're gossiping. At first, you were you were being a sounding board and letting them vent. Once you start participating, that's a real problem, right? Um, you actually have to make it really clear to every teacher that you will not gossip about another teacher with them. So if I gossip with teacher A about teacher B, teacher A knows I will gossip with teachers. 
So she may as well know that I will gossip with teacher B about her, right? <laughs> That's what my mom always said. If somebody will, will talk badly about somebody with you, they will talk badly about you to someone else. So what do we do if we've made this mistake of having those kinds of conversations with teachers about their colleagues? First, we have to stop the gossip. Okay, we cannot participate in it anymore. And we have to make it clear to the teachers that we're not there to badmouth other teachers. So if they start that sort of conversation, there are a few things that you can do. You can remove yourself and say, you know what, I really have to run um, because I have a meeting in five minutes. Or you can explicitly say something like, you know what, because I'm here to support all teachers, I'd really rather not take part in any conversation that could get in the way of that support. Because uh, it's important to me to to provide support to everybody here. Um, you can also say something along the lines of, you know what, I, I'm, I may have participated in these conversations in the past and I really shouldn't have. I was frustrated and I, I apologize. Um, but I'm not going to be sharing anything about teachers from now on because I realize that that's really going to make it hard for me to provide good support to them. And it also might color the relationship that you have with them. And the relationship you have with the your colleague is not the same one that I have with them. And it doesn't have to be. So we want to make sure that we don't do any gossiping about our, our colleagues. If you have an issue that I can help you with, I am more than happy to help you. Um, and I, if, if there's some work that needs to be done to facilitate meetings or to identify norms or expectations as a team, we can absolutely do that. I just really wouldn't want to participate in any kind of like bashing session. So you can say something along those lines to help people know um, where you stand clearly. Number three, mistake number three is trying to make teachers into a mini me. Okay. And... I have been guilty of this myself. If you were a strong classroom teacher, it can be really easy to go into a classroom and look around and think of all the things that you would do differently, right? Classroom layout, management, instructional methods, the way materials are organized. I mean, every, you can find something in every category um, that you would probably do differently as a teacher. But that's not really coaching, when we try to change our teachers to be exactly like us, we're just making a copy, right? And that creates a lot of frustration and resentment because no teacher is going to be exactly like you were in the classroom. And that's not the point of coaching work. So let me explain a little bit about um, a couple of teachers that I've worked with. Teacher A is artsy and creative. She's like a total mess. Her <laughs> room is always messy. There's like stacks of things around the edges of the room. Um, sort of late with turning things in. Built really good relationships with kids. Um, the classroom was always buzzing with energy. Lessons would run over on time frame. And she was always kind of behind in the curriculum. She had really good conversations with kids about literature and tons of like project-based learning. And then teacher B is more of the classroom is very simple, simply designed, minimal elements inside of it, um, hyper-focused on like vocabulary and language use, lots of think-alouds during the lessons, very simple lessons that didn't stretch out for over weeks. They were maybe focused on one spe specific target um, and didn't connect to every other thing in the classroom, like maybe not as many integrated units. Small components that would build to larger ideas over time, but um, maybe every unit didn't seem like this major comprehensive thing that lasted the whole day. Lots of focus on essentials and on, on having a purpose for everything that she did. And she didn't really do as well and didn't feel as comfortable with like big projects or big creative challenges. Those were more stressful to her. Both of these were two excellent teachers that I personally know. And they're good for kids in completely different ways and in different ways than I am. 
because I think I'm a little bit of both of these people, actually. These are actual people that I know, but I'm kind of in the middle. But they were good for kids in different ways, but they were both good for kids, right? If I tried to make either teacher into the other teacher or into me, they'd be so frustrated and resentful. So instead, we look at the teacher's strengths and try to build up around those strengths. We can challenge their thinking about why they do what they do, but we still are working with what they do, right? We are not saying, no, the way you do things is wrong and you should really do what I do. So if we've been trying to do that, if you have found that you are kind of trying to make teachers into mini-me's, what do we do now? One of the best tips that I have learned about coaching is when you walk into a classroom, don't think, is that the way that I would do it? Because then you're creating yourself as like the benchmark or the marker for quality teaching. Instead, think, is this an effective approach for student learning? Are students learning? Are we supporting students equitably? If we're thinking about those things, then we're actually focusing our work on the kids because that is the point. The point is not to be like you. The point is to be a a, a teacher who is good for kids, right? And so if we're going to help them do that, we have to approach it in that way. So we can change our mindset by asking those questions instead. Number four of our mistakes not to make is expecting that PD will be implemented without follow-up support. So you can do a million and one workshops and never see a single bit of evidence in the classroom. Um, Like all learners, teachers don't just magically transfer learning from a learning opportunity to the classroom without a really purposeful approach and a plan. And if you felt this way before, if you've spent weeks and months providing professional development and learning to a group of teachers on your, your whole campus, and then you've been like completely destroyed when you went in the classroom and didn't see any evidence of it at all, I, I know how you feel because I have been there and you feel pretty much like a failure. You're like, why did I bother doing any of this? They haven't applied any of it. And it's so frustrating because you know that what you were sharing was quality information. So then what do we do? We plan very carefully and we bridge the learning opportunities to implementation. We are thoughtful and purposeful in doing that. So in one workshop, you have teachers read and discuss, do a hands-on activity, watch a video, have them practice. And actually Gretchen Bridgers on um, episode 12 shared a little bit about how you can implement practice during professional development. And then you can have them represent learning visually and in writing. We do like a good quality professional development, solidify the learning, and then we help them make a plan to implement it. We say, of what we learned today, How are we going to make that happen in the classroom? Let's create lesson plans. Let's go back and analyze your plans and find a good place to put it in. Let's make a commitment. Let's make a plan to um, implement this specific strategy by this day, and then we will bring them to a follow-up PLC to see how it goes, right? Another thing that we can do to support teachers in this area is we can differentiate the PD teachers receive by letting them choose topics and modes for learning. We can't always differentiate everything, but for example, if you've got a book study, opportunity for teachers, you might be able to give them a choice of what book or topic they're interested in learning about. And that way you're more likely to get buy-in from teachers instead of doing top-down professional learning opportunities that people are not interested in. We can also work in their classrooms to make sure the learning sticks and actually transfers from those learning experiences into their classroom. So we can show them what it looks like in action with their actual kids instead of putting the information out there and just hoping that they can imagine what it would look like in their own rooms. Sometimes teachers need a really explicit model with kids that they know to see that something can work. Number five is losing your temper. 
So coaches are put through the ringer sometimes. Um, I have had friends who have suffered from all kinds of abuse. (laughs) I had a friend um, who had a binder tossed at them. Uh, Well, I mean, kind of like thrown across the table towards them. Um, Well, then I guess I just don't know anything anyway. And then the binder was like tossed down onto the table towards my friend. Uh, People make snide remarks. What do you do anyway? Or you never gave me that. You never showed me that. You never told me that. You haven't helped me with that. You helped so-and-so and you haven't helped me. Sometimes you are like, I, these people are pushing me <laughs> so far. It's almost like they want to see what happens if you explode. And you know what? They might want to see what happens when you explode because they might feel like that's your two colors. Some people do that. Um, but you know what happens if you do explode and you lose your temper? You shut that teacher down. Um, that teacher is not going to be interested in learning from somebody who could explode all over them because they don't trust you anymore. So I'm not saying just to take everything that's thrown at you and pretend to smile and be like, oh, it's fine. You're being incredibly rude to me, but I'm happy. That's not that's not true. You can be honest while being respectful. So whenever teachers are saying, I never saw that. I never got that. You can say, actually, we did talk about that in August and I can help you find the notes if you'd like. You can say um, if someone says, what do you do anyway? What are you doing? You can say, I'm actually pretty busy. I'm working on X, Y, Z or whatever it is that you've got going on. You can be honest with that. You could even say, if you kind of feel like a conversation is becoming a little bit heated, you might say, you know what? I'm noticing we're getting a little frustrated. So maybe we can come at this another way. If you blow, if you blow up, though, you will lose the credibility and the respect that you've worked hard to earn. So what do you do if you already did, if you already lost your temper? Honestly, teachers are people and people want to be validated. And so you apologize. You can honestly say, you know what? I lost my temper the other day. I was frustrated and having a difficult day and I had a hard time staying calm. So I'm really sorry that happened and I will do better next time. That's the best that we can do is to be honest about it. If we've lost our temper or if we've made any mistake, the best we can do is be honest and sort of own it. So those are my tips for you. Five mistakes that I hope that you can avoid. And if you have already made them, incidentally, you can hopefully dig yourself out by trying some of these other strategies. Because like in the episode where I talked to Stephanie Reyna about having difficult conversations, um, that's not the last word on your relationship with a teacher. So... That is really what I want you to remember for today. Having made a mistake with a teacher doesn't mean you will never be able to impact that teacher again. It just means your, your relationship might take some work before they're ready to learn from you or learn with you. So for my next steps for you today, I want you to think about what mistakes have you made? And don't be embarrassed because we have all made missteps in our coaching work, things that we wish that we could go back and change or get a do-over. And all we can do is change our actions in the future, okay? So choose one area you'd like to change and then think about what step you can take to change it. One thing that you would like to improve and something you can do to fix that. And until next week, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.